Before we start today's episode, I'm really excited to let you know that the doors to my Trade Winds Retail course have now officially opened. They'll be closing on the 13th of October, so if you've thought about joining the course or it's something that you've always wanted to do, then now's the time. Trade Winds is a practical and comprehensive online course that will guide you towards building the business of your dreams. I have poured my heart and soul into designing the perfect course for fellow passionate and entrepreneurial people who are ready to supercharge their current business or start their own business, and in particular, their own retail business. My Trade Winds Guide to Retail covers everything you will need and want to know about starting a business. I want to make the process of launching and navigating your business incredibly easy and share my secrets so that you can discover how not to learn the hard way. So if you dream of owning your own business or having more flexibility and control over your life, then Trade Winds is for you. Head over to tarasolberg.com forward slash tradewinds for more information. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to Trade Winds. I am your host, Tara Solberg, the founder of Few and Far and Indigo Love, two halves of one thriving business. I am a South Coast girl from a small town and when I launched my business over 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. What I did have was passion, drive and a commitment to learn as much as possible on my way. I will take you through each chapter of my unique business story. You will get real insight into the lows and highs, the trials and triumphs and the many, many lessons learned. In fact, I will share all of the things I wish I knew when I was starting out all those years ago. So consider this your personal invitation to take the first step on the journey of a lifetime towards owning your own business. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Trade Winds podcast. This week I'm sitting down with Danny and we're going through or going back all the way again to those early years that we had in business but following on in the next step of our journey where we moved Indigo Love out of our pilgrim space and into a new cottage. So during this episode, um, I'd love to share with you some of the lessons and challenges that we faced during this time. So welcome, Danny. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. So anyway, so we've spoken about obviously um, sharing a space with Pilgrim's Cafe and how that worked and how we sold clothing, men's and ladies clothing, and we had a bit more of a lifestyle style store. Um, And we were also running few and far at the time. So we had two stores, one in each store. Yep. Working ridiculously a lot. Yeah. And we'd imported our first container of Chinese furniture. (laughs) Yeah. And we'd gotten married. Well, yeah, we'd been married. (laughs) So one of the things that Danny and I had always had as part of our long-term plan was we wanted to own our own premises. We thought it was really important to own our own premises so that we weren't at the mercy of a lease or a landlord. And, you know, that would guarantee 
our you know our business to run for as long as possible or as long as we wanted it to yeah, run. It's it's I think it's one of the things that a lot of people don't realise that business owners go through is the stress of a lease. Yeah. Because your whole business, everything you do, your income, your the the money to pay your mortgage relies on the strength or weakness of your lease. Mm-hmm. And uh, one little mistake yeah, can mean one over, one thing you overlook or yeah. Um, you know, forget to renew your lease, forget to take up the option or something, or, or even not, not having right an time. option. Yeah, um, exactly. So all of those sorts of things, leases are always really tricky so to important. negotiate as well. Um, so yeah, we thought to take that stress away, that would basically guarantee us to be in control of our business and how long and where we could operate from. And we were having, I think what even brought that to the surface even more was that we were having major issues with a landlord yeah yeah major major issues yeah like unworkable issues so we were sort of in this position where we were feeling a little bit stuck sort of wondering how are we going to keep going on like this mm. when basically the landlord was driving the customers away <laughs> yeah and we and we weren't even we were subleasing yeah off yep. Uh, the guys at Pilgrims, who they had the lease in their name, which in some ways was very fortunate for us because we could um, get out of that easily or comfortably. But well, yeah. we had an agreement with yeah, them, yeah, for the first year. Yeah. But again, even being subleasing or subleasing from somebody is also risky because you're relying on that person to keep their lease and mm. to uphold you know make sure they're paying their rental repayments and all of that sort of thing so yeah basically wiping away a lease was going to be our future plan so i know from day one we always wanted to buy the property that we were renting at few and far but that was on the main street of huskisson and it was on a block of its own and um it actually did come up for sale when we were at around this time and it was way, way out of our price range. Mm. And I just remember saying to Danny, how would we ever do this? What are we going to do? Like, you know, this has really been our plan and our dream, you know, since opening the business. But obviously we're not at a point at the moment where we can afford this and it's probably never going to come up again. What are we going to do? And I actually remember giving him a call and sort of mentioning that that was for sale and feeling so, I guess, helpless in terms of being able to go for that opportunity. And he said to me, what about, why don't we start looking in, you know, one of the side streets or even the back streets or something like that in Huskisson where maybe the property prices are a little bit more affordable or, you know, more reachable for us. And so then, after hanging up with you, I jumped straight on the internet on realestate.com or whatever it was. And I actually found like, it's almost like, you know, this serendipitous moment. I found the little cottage in Currambine Street that was actually for sale. But that was kind of, uh, it was, um, you know, one of those properties listed as, um, you know, a price on application or whatever it was, mm. because it was going up for auction, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, so um, I rang up about that property and straight away the real estate agent gave me the usual spiel how the owners are looking at achieving this much and that was kind of way out of our price range still. But we thought, well, it's going up for auction, so we may as well, you know, give that a go and just go to the auction just to see. 
and um, yeah, so we we got ready. We we spoke to the bank manager. We got all of our finances together. By that stage, the business had been doing quite well, um, so we'd managed to save up some money towards kind of having deposits and that sort of thing. Um, and the bank was able to actually give us a loan by this mm. stage. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had a new um, bank manager too. That was that the first time we'd had first a bank manager. Time. Yeah, first time we'd had a bank manager. and A business a, bank manager. Yeah, a business bank manager, not just your, your average you know, branch bank no. manager. So that's something that's really important. Yeah. And I think even as a lesson, um, you know, for anyone that's that's got a, business or um, I don't know we were a bit behind the eight ball back then but <laughs> having a business bank manager is so oh, important yeah it's unbelievably important and we've had um, some amazing one particular amazing bank managers that have basically affected the growth of our business and allowed us to grow and and inspired us to grow and yeah. understood what we wanted to do we've always i mean we had a bank manager at once she said oh knowing you guys you know you guys will want to do something crazy next week you know it's all what you're <laughs> always doing something how come you always get ideas you always got ideas you too but she understood us and, and she was ready for us yeah <laughs> and, and and she was always open to our ideas and always positive and always looking for a way to help us get there and i think without that you know bank managers good ones um and if you haven't got a good one there's good ones out there so you'd find a good one but without good bank managers they can really uh, i don't know they're just so important to make or break your business oh, really unbelievably important yeah and so at that point it was so important to have her on our side because i know that i told you the story before how i'd kind of i'd just basically gone over the road to the as I say, the usual mm. branch bank manager and asked, pleaded for the loan, which I got nowhere with. But it was actually at the stage when we were introduced to this bank manager, our business banking manager, that she was able to make all of this happen for us. And it was almost like, you know, we it came out of nowhere pretty much. Like mm. oh, all of a sudden we could get like a quite a big loan rather than, you know, only a year before that, I was asking for $25,000 or something and yeah. <laughs> couldn't even get it. So that was a huge factor in being able to move forward with our ideas. Um, obviously, with the property being so like quite expensive, we weren't able to borrow that much. So we'd, we'd spoken with my mum and dad and we decided to go halves with them and buy the, like, try and buy mm. the property in a unit trust. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they were on board and we were all kind of, well, we were pretty excited. But yeah, that, that, I, Back then too, I guess, behind the scenes, we would always be very interested in property in general. Um, yeah. Before um, we, we even started business, we would look, you know, invest property. We, we would invest in, sorry, educating ourselves. We'd read yeah. books. We went to seminars on... Yeah. Um, Michael Yardney, wasn't it? <laughs> and we dragged my mum and dad yeah, along and we, as well. Yeah, yeah, and they read the books with us and, yeah. and we'd all get excited about it, you know, and I think we were just um, inspired on, you know, how this could work and how it could, you know. So I guess we were educated in property. We knew that was mm. the way to go and um, that good property would set us up. And and, uh, and also um, property in that area. Obviously, we'd grown up in that area, so mm. we understood 
that the value of the property in that area and that ultimately you know, it would grow the value of it would grow and that sort of thing so it would be a wise investment um but yeah we were, as danny said we were quite educated in it so but this was probably the first was this the first one or the second this might have been mum and dad's second one that they'd bought according to the mm. michael yardney strategy yeah. <laughs> them to buy one before didn't you? But this was our first property that we were able to buy, um, you know, obviously this way. We turned up or we got ready for the auction and the preparation for that was still really difficult, like just making sure that our finances were in order and we were basically borrowed out to our maximum which which was about 200,000 less than what we were told it yep. was going to sell for or they'd had interest in at that price at that price yeah so we were sort of turning up to the auction not expecting to no. get it at all no. <laughs> and I know when we turned up there were Porsches and things like that parked yeah. out the front and we basically kind of looked at each other when we got out of the car and we were like what are we doing like mm. this is just silly but you know let's have a go so I, i'll never forget the auction all of us it was so mum actually stayed working she actually started working in indigo love and i think veronica might have been working mm. in few and far so that we could go to the auction together and dad came along to the auction with danny and i and mum said when there was no customers in the shop, she'd stand out on the balcony of Indigo Love having a look over to see if she could see what was happening. But the auction, it was a cold day and it was sort of raining a little bit. And the auction was actually inside the house. And at the time, it was this tiny little cottage. Well, it still is a tiny little cottage. But it had two bedrooms and then the back area was a kitchen and like the the lounge room with the fireplace and they actually had the fireplace going and we're all kind of huddled in there in the kitchen and you know waiting for the auctioneer and my heart was beating out of my chest like <laughs> and I, I think I looked over at Danny and he just couldn't even talk <laughs> no I'm usually all right at these things yeah. like I'm usually I can keep it together but yeah. I don't know what happened I, <laughs> I was just so nervous and I actually couldn't talk no like when the auction started and, and I'm I'm looking at your dad and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, go, yeah. yeah. I, but I, in my mind, I wanted to say yes, but, yeah. but I just couldn't get words out. And I think we ended up sort of having to say to dad, I think you have to do it because neither of us could say anything. Well, he said, you just want me to do it. I'm like, yeah. yeah. But I know even he was really nervous and it's not really like him to get nervous at those sorts of things. And he was really nervous as well. So... Obviously, that meant something. I don't know. For all three of us to be so nervous, I think, you know, we obviously knew that we were on to something. But, yeah, so I think now what happened in the auction, I think um, we got to a point, it was a it was a bid between us. Well, it was super us. slow, wasn't it? it was yeah, it, most slow auctions, to get started. It was slow to get going. But there actually wasn't that Much many. Much interest. No. No. But, and I think looking back, what happened is that the agents or the real estate Though I had talk of, like I said, minimum two hundred over what we even paid in the end. Yeah. But say like two to three hundred more. But I think the expectation had a lot of and, and it's investors thinking, Oh, it's gonna go for this much, it's gonna go for this much. Um, 
it's probably out of my reach or probably a bit more than what I want to pay or whatever. Yeah. And and because of the horrible weather, and this was a stage two in, in the real estate cycle too, when it there was, wasn't, yeah. it's dead. It you was know, dead. It's not, it's not like you know, demand is high, mm. there's not a lot of real estate available, therefore everyone's bidding like crazy at every house. This is the opposite. This was in the middle of the flat zone. It's almost like you feel like you're buying at the wrong time, but yep. it's actually the right time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is what we'd read, which yeah. is what we were educated to do. You know, don't buy in the high time, buy in the buy when no one wants it. Yeah. Um, but I think what happened, yeah, is that every all the other people that were interested expected it to go so high. And so just thought, oh, well, I won't worry. And they were talking with the real estate agents and sort of staying in touch but um i don't know what happened on the day and no one really took any interest in it no there were a few people registered but it ended up only being us and one other person who was bidding yeah so it was us against him and got to the stage where it didn't make reserve no it didn't so they basic and at that stage when you know when it looked like you know, maybe we were the highest bidder, but that hadn't met reserve. We were thinking, oh my gosh, we could get this. Yeah. This is actually possible. Can you believe this? Well, I think at one point <laughs> I thought, we've got it, we've got it. Yeah. And, then, and then, you know, they do, they yeah. go away and they go, okay, so it hasn't reached reserve. So, um, you know, come on, let's go more. And no one went more. Everyone just stood there. Well, and went, so no. we were the highest bidder. Yeah. So the auction actually finished with us as the highest bidder. And we didn't. And probably under or well, I didn't understand how it worked, no. but when you're the last bidder, you have the first option to negotiate yeah. at the, with the owners and basically come up with a price and buy the property. Well, you have to finalise it then. Yeah, like, you have the option to do it, but yeah. if you don't agree to that option, then you forego that option. I guess is that then it's back on the market and everyone else the can have a day. bid. Yeah, because yeah, that's the other side of the story. Is after we bought it, that yeah. everybody was basically like, oh. <laughs> But it was interesting though because the figure that we had as set as our maximum figure that we could go to and we couldn't afford a cent more ended up being we ended up getting very close to that figure and I think we were maybe five thousand dollars away from it. And for some reason we kind of went no no we're walking away. Yeah. And then well, we, I think we actually, it was more just the trying. We, dad, yeah. dad likes to try and bluff a bit, but <laughs> yeah, I think we tried to bluff. Well, your, your dad was bluffing, and and then we actually walked across the street. Yeah, and we and you and I stopped and just went, "This is crazy." For like, the sake of five thousand dollars, five grand. Yeah, let's just go around and, and yeah. buy it. And then yeah, like dad was like, grand. "Yeah," and dad's like, "Yep, yeah, no, you're right. Let's go do it." So we walked back over the road and said, "Okay, we'll agree to your price." And that price that we agreed on and bought the property for was our golden number price that mm. we had set and we couldn't have afforded a cent more than that. So it's so amazing and, how that worked yeah, out. Yeah, and like we said, two to 300,000 less. Yeah. And then the weeks after, the days and weeks after we bought that property, we were hearing from everyone like, wow, 
everyone was expecting that to go more. I can't believe you only paid that. Can't but there was, and there was somebody that. who was really interested in it that just hadn't bothered to show up to the auction. Mm. Who said that they would have bought that the next day or whatever yeah. it was? Like who'd rang up after the auction? Yeah. So there was all these things, but it just meant that the property was ours. So I really feel like that moment was, and it was meant to be yeah. moment. And then we had to run back across the road, obviously, and tell mum that we'd gotten it. And she was really excited, but she was <laughs> watching on nervously. But yeah, I guess that goes to show in that that was a real, real sliding doors moment for us. Like if Massive. we had have walked away from that. Oh. And that and that property, as I guess most people know, you get capital gain. That yeah. property's had amazing capital gain because it's a commercial property. So yeah. again, as a business owner talking to other business owners, commercial property while it's not for everyone you know as a business owner it's it's amazing because you 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 get to pay yourself rent um property gets capital gain just like everything else yeah um and that particular property has really helped us establish uh financially yeah um, well it's been our best investment really absolutely and it's also um obviously having property behind you has allowed us to use that in terms of if we've ever needed to use it as equity to take out loans and things like that yeah and i guess banks value property you know the saying safe as houses um they value property. They don't necessarily value your stock or even your business. You can't. Well, they do value so. your stock to a certain degree, but yeah, when you're taking out big loans or mm. larger loans, they want to put it against property. Absolutely. Yeah. But also the fact that we then owned our own property meant that you know because. When we do our fit outs, we don't do them in halves. We always kind of, we spend a lot of money and go to a lot of effort for our fit out. So owning our own property meant that we could, you know, any investment that you make into that property is going towards your investment, not into some landlord's pockets or feeling like a waste of money. So that we did with our first one. Yeah, for the first time we spent. Where we moved into a almost derelict building and increase the value of it upside down and then (laughs) yeah i mean increase the value of it so we couldn't afford it (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that's exactly what we did (laughs) but um so the next stage was obviously having to um change the zoning of that property from residential to commercial and that was something we really didn't know anything about and didn't expect. Well, I don't to... think we even realised we had to do that. Yeah, we... Uh, well, we knew that we had to change the zoning, but we didn't actually know what was involved in making that mm. change. So when you tra- train... Sorry, when you change something from residential to commercial zoning, you obviously have to fulfil all of the council requirements in terms of fire rating, parking, wheelchair access, all of those sorts of things. And as you can imagine, it was just this little old cottage that had none of that. So once we made that change to commercial, we basically had to, well, we stripped it, didn't we? So at one stage, it was literally frames with a roof on it, no floor, no walls, and then we ended up replacing the roof as well. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time too, you've got 
you know, which is fair enough. You have locals concerned that, you know, this beautiful little cottage that... Yeah. Because um, it was almost heritage listed at yeah. one stage. But we wanted to preserve the cottage and the look, of the, and cottage, the, look yeah. of the cottage. So we actually went to great lengths to, to keep it looking as, as it was. So we, we had to strip all of the walls and fire eight them, which involved putting up um, hebel blocks and things, hebel panels and all mm. that sort of thing around it. But then we actually laid the um, weatherboards over the top of that. Yeah. So, so the walls still... were like almost 30 centimetres thick, thick. <laughs> you know, with um, layers of fire rating. Yeah. And then basically the facade to make it look like a cottage back on top. Yeah. And then you've got things like ramps and... We had to redo all, all the footings. The, f- the house was basically sitting on stones, like yeah. piles of stones. Yeah. So we had to jack the house up, get underneath it in between... Well, the floor was all taken off. In yeah. between all the bearers and dig... You had to holes. do all the yeah. digging? <laughs> I had to dig holes, which one day they just beat me. I just put it... I'm like, I, can't, I just can't dig. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, but luckily, you know, for your dad, who's a builder, yeah, you know, we were able to get that done. But I guess um, it's funny though because the cost involved in that, like, obviously, it was a lot more than what we had planned for because we kind of went into it a bit blind. Mm. But I sort of wonder if if we had have known how much that was going to cost or what a job that was going to be, would we have actually bought it in the first place? Mm. Um, because at one stage we were thinking it was probably going to be cheaper to tear the whole thing down Mm. but that was too late by then We did have a lot of really great feedback though and a lot of the locals were really happy that we'd kept the cottage kind of or maintained that look which was really nice and we kind of gutted it, taken out all of the walls and we'd put some big columns inside mm. and all that sort of thing. So there were some really positive mm. kind of... And everyone was happy that we kind of secured this and we were going to do something nice with it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know our plan was obviously to move... We wanted to move Indigo Love from the Pilgrim site into the cottage. Um, and we decided to stop with the clothing and just focus on furniture and homewares because that's what we were best at and I think we've spoken about it before where I was just getting dragged to Sydney most weeks for showings and all that sort of thing and you know my passion was really in the homewares and furniture side so that's what we decided to do so we had a big sale at Indigo Love we got rid of all of the clothing Mm. all of the footwear everything and then I think narrow the focus was what we decided you know because even as you know, in branding, you know, there's different ways of focusing your brand. But I think um, having that focus on home not mm. and not home and fashion yeah. sort of allowed us to be concentrate on, on the brand a bit more. Yeah. And what we were sort of trying out the feeling we were trying to convey. But we did have people sort of say well, how are you going to make it different if you're just doing furniture and homewares? Like, how are you going to make it different to the store up the road? Like, are you, you're probably going to take sales away from that store. I think so, that was a very common thought. Yeah. So people basically saying, well, you've got, you know, say candles in your store. 
your original store if you go put candles in this store you, you're not going to sell as many candles mm. but in some ways no we did because that theory of it's a bit like a food court people go to a food court to have choice, choice. yeah um, that's how it works so we gave people more choice therefore we and we made will... it a good place to come and shop and we'd already seen that by having you know indigo love as the second store even though it was selling different things we'd seen that having two stores could work so yeah we thought it was a risk that we were willing to take we didn't know how it would pan out but it actually has worked really well for us yeah. like that each store stands on its own yeah and yeah it's it's been a really good idea um so we moved out of indigo love and moved everything into there but the way that we wanted to establish a point of difference is that we thought okay few and far is very kind of um what would you say earthy and organic and it's got the chinese pieces and all those nice blonde you know elm and pine pieces so how are we going to make indigo love look different so we painted all of the walls white and the floors white and then we decided to import a container from India um, because that has a very different look and a very different aesthetic and there's a lot of different things that you can get from India to give it that whole different look. I know there's um, even metal furniture and all of those sorts of things. But I think at the there. time, I don't know if I'm wrong, but at the time we were getting some things out of a supplier that was dealing in India yeah. but it was very basic, basic I mean back yeah. then there was no not a lot of people were going to India and getting a lot out of India no that supplier I remember we'd go to their um, warehouse. warehouse in Sydney and we'd kind of sit in there and rummage through all this, oh. these textiles and raid the place yeah. <laughs> fill up the boot <laughs> yeah fill up the boot and come home so and we all that thought, stuff did really well yeah so we thought why not have a go at this ourselves and there was a supplier that i'd always kind of had up my sleeve as um you know somebody i wanted to try out so we we thought we'd um we'd try them and and import this container of furniture but i won't go into that now because that's for another episode <laughs> but obviously knowing that we were needing to or that we were going to be getting we were needing to change the look of that and we were going to be getting this container of Indian furniture. The back of Few and Far was already full of Chinese furniture mm. stacked, you know, up to the, to ceiling, the ceiling and <laughs> almost caving in on you as you walk through. So we were thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do? Where are we going to put this? We've got a whole furniture of, oh, sorry, a whole container of furniture that we need to store somewhere. What are we going to do? And that's when we knew that we had to expand even further and take on a lease for our very first warehouse. And so, do you remember that first warehouse? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How big do you think it would have been? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, very big at all. It was maybe 200 square metres? Yeah, I was going to say 12 by... Twelve by fifteen meters, something like that. It wasn't very big at all. Yeah, so we we basically signed the lease for this warehouse, and I know that um, growing or you know being able to grow is really hard because it costs money, and we were always pushing ourselves to grow, because I guess that by pushing yourself, well there is no other way of growing. That's how you grow. You have to push yourself if you want to grow. 
otherwise you kind of think well you reach a standstill don't you or you have to have a vision like of what where you want to be i think you know we've always i mean we've quickly learned that you've got to have a vision for where you want to be so that you know if you have a vision for being bigger and you have a warehouse and this is what it looks like Mm. and so when it comes to those decisions and they're massive decisions to go oh okay we're just going to get a warehouse that's going to cost an extra you know whatever how many hundreds a week um yeah this is a good idea (laughs) so but you have to you have to be comfortable with that idea and comfortable with that vision so i think for us you know having the idea of this is how we're going to do it and and you grow into the idea therefore you grow into your business grows with it yeah yeah definitely and i guess you've always had um that um you've always had that saying how are we going to do this if we're twice as big so always trying to forecast and we still do it and we We still still do do it it. like even now with you know we sit down and there'll be eight of us around a table and someone will talk about it I'm like, and my thing will always be how are you going to do that if you're twice as big and I know we've always done this to some extent but sometimes when I think about it I don't think we've even you know as we do think big but sometimes I don't think we've thought big enough like we've moved warehouses now seven times yeah. <laughs> but i guess part of that is we've never been able to find a warehouse that's available that's big enough really so we've always had two or whatever it might be or find a better one while we're in one so that's why we move so so yeah coming back to that i don't think it's that we're not thinking big enough it's just that what we need isn't available mm. where we are um but but not thinking big enough i think can be expensive definitely like we 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 didn't think big enough for years no for years and i guess it's hard you know we didn't grow up or you know move into a business that was already big or established you know established or you know we didn't even there was no um we didn't have any experience in it we well we didn't know what the growth pattern could look like potentially no so it was always always learning and and kind of and when you've started a business in a small town like Huskisson mm. you're kind of not really predicting that things will kind of go up really quickly <laughs> no and in the world the world changes a bit too i yeah. mean you know it's not long ago there were no bunnings um yeah you know, things like that's changed a lot you know the way people do business now and do it on scale a lot with even online or bricks and mortar it's always on scale now um i think that's changed but yeah I, I, we definitely didn't think big enough and it's like you said it's an expensive lesson sometimes and hard work as yeah. well moving and, and you hear it a lot like oh i just want to start off small well start off small you get a small result or or if you do start small and that's kind of all that you can afford because obviously we understand that and if you do start small just make sure that you have a plan that's bigger Mm. so that you can grow into your shoes so to speak yeah and and guess too understand that you know if you start small then things will start small everything will start small yeah Um, even by having indigo love in the cottage at Carambine street it's a much smaller store Mm. so obviously the turnover Turnover and everything is smaller smaller. the larger the store the larger the turnover so everything is quite proportional yeah yeah when it comes to that so i guess that's where you can kind of 
like from us we've had that experience and that's where we can learn from that experience and plan what a result we want yeah that. but obviously financially if you can't afford to go yeah whatever that idea is how big it is how big is your big but um if you can afford to do something that's bigger i think i think if you're thinking is i'll just start small and see what happens versus i'll do as big as i can and see what happens yeah i think you'll get a better result going i'll start as big as i can because you're planning for growth well yeah 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 (laughs) i hope that makes sense it does well it does to me So in summary, I guess what you could say uh, the results of this episode and the conversations that we've had is to try and think as big as you can and to and by doing that, you actually create opportunities for yourself and force almost force things to happen. You've got to force. I mean, there's a lot of people that you, you see it every day that people have businesses and in the same space doing the same thing and I guess, you know, obviously getting the same result um, waiting for things to happen but it's those people who are successful that force change that really push well you've got to get out of your comfort zone yeah and <laughs> and always looking to for opportunities I mean like, like we said our, our bank manager was was amazing for us but she'd always I guess and we took it as a compliment or what's what's your idea today what's your idea today <laughs> and the idea is you know and some people on the outside looking in go oh you guys you're you know, one day it's this, one day it's that. Da, 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 da. But I think it's always this sort of thirst or hunger to, to okay, where, what, how can we do this better? How can oh, we new do this? challenges. Yeah. yeah, how can we do this? I, I would do that. And you, you, you're looking at, you know, even if it's you know, leasing a store, I mean, the rent you're paying potentially is exactly the same as the mortgage if you bought it. Yeah. Um, Things like that, you know, we're always looking for opportunities to do it a better way or... We, I guess we've always naturally thought bigger. But even as we take um, opp- or opportunities now, I think we could even still think bigger. But obviously it's like, you know, delving into that unknown that's really quite scary. But I think as long as you're, as long as you're recognising the need to think bigger, that you're questioning yeah. your decisions and thinking, well... How do I do this if this really blows up? Or if I want this to be four times bigger, am I going to be able to deliver my own furniture? No, I'm not. Um, is this van big enough? Everything, like so many things we've done as lessons along the way where we've... Automating things yeah. and all that sort of thing. As Danny always says, how are we going to do this if we're twice as big? Yeah. So always thinking that way. And buying quality and yeah. you know, thinking, well, what would a successful business do? What would, you know, what would someone else do? And a lot of decisions that we have to make, I always think, well, what would someone else do? What would, you know, in those books we've read, what would they do? Yeah. How would they tackle it? And looking at people or brands that you admire and how they do things yeah, and how they present themselves and all of that sort of thing. I think there's a lesson in all of that. Yeah, and, and I'm the worst at being competitive with <laughs> people that are way bigger than us, but in some ways I'm competitive, but the other, in other ways I'm inspired by them. Yeah. Like how they do that. Like yeah. That's amazing how they do that. And then, oh, well, this is what we need to do. 
Yeah. And like, you've got to catch yourself out sometimes because a lot of the times we're like, oh, how did they do that? And you're like, hang on, they've been in business for like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously being careful to what you're comparing yourself against. But yeah, always striving to be better and always having an open mind in terms of how you can grow your business. Mm. I think it's a really good lesson. So with all that in mind, thinking big and expanding, we decided that we'd go to India. Jump on a plane to this place we'd never been before and knew nothing about. No, with <laughs> virtually zero contacts. One contact. <laughs> thought we'd learnt our lesson from China. <laughs> we thought we'd just walk the streets and we'd just find amazingness on every corner. <laughs> That we did not, but you will find out more in the next episode. Thank you for joining me this week on the Trade Wins podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or have found value in this podcast, I'd love you to leave me a review on iTunes or to share it on Instagram and Facebook for your friends. To see what special pieces of the world we've brought home, make sure you visit our website at viewandfar.com.au or pop into one of our beautiful stores located in Huskisson, Berry, or Barrel in New South Wales. And if you're thinking about starting your own retail business but aren't sure where to begin or you have an existing business you want to grow, head over to my website tarasolberg.com for more information on my Trade Wins online course where I share everything I wish I had known when I was first starting out in business. I look forward to you joining me again for our next episode. Thank you for listening.